Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. This is the week that changed the world. Holy Week coming up, folks. And I always like to get my good friend Steve Ray on. And we will have him after the first segment on the rest of the show to talk about a virtual tour of the Passion of Christ. But let's get some soul food in first. This is a reading from John again. John chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Many took a liter of costly perfumed oil and made from genuine Aramaic nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and dried them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Then Judas of Iscariot, one of his disciples, and the one who would betray him said, Why was this oil not sold for 300 days wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. So Jesus said, leave her alone. Let her keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews found out that he was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests plotted to kill Lazarus too, because many of the Jews were turning away and believing in Jesus because of him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What a setting. I wanted to be at that meal. Again, I'm quoting right from the the Navarre Bible. Jesus pays another visit to his friends in Bethany. It was very touching to see this friendship. At once divine and human expressed in a formal, frequent contact, it is true that I always call our tabernacle Bethany. Become a friend of the Master's friends, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, and then you. Won't you ask me any more while I call out the tabernacle. This is from uh, Jose Maria Escobar's comment on the book, The Way. So apparently, our Lord was anointed on two different occasions, right? First, at the start of his public ministry in Galilee, as recounted by St. Luke in chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And then second, towards the end of his life in Bethany, reported here by St. John, and undoubtedly the same incident as described by St. Matthew, chapter 26, verse 6 to 13. And also St. Mark, chapter 14, verse 3 to 9. The two anointings are quite distinct. They occur at different times, and the details of the accounts differ. The first is a demonstration of repentance, followed by pardon. The second, a delicate expression of love which Jesus further interprets as an anticipation of his anointing of his body at the burial. Remember when he said, save it for my burial. Although these anointing of Jesus had a particular significance, they should not be seen in context of 
Eastern hospitality. So a pound was a measure of weight equivalent to, are you ready for this? 300 grams. A denarii, as we have indicated elsewhere, was a day's wage of an agricultural laborer. Therefore, the cost of the flask of perfume would have amounted to a year's wage. Isn't that amazing? What a shining proof of magnanimity in Mary, as um, you know, Judas, on the other hand, lamented this waste. Do you see the difference? And when calculating the price, he would have touched at least 300 silver pieces. True detachment leads us to a very generous with God and with our fellow man. Don't be mean and begrudging with people who, without counting the cost, have given of their all. Everything they have for your sake. Just ask yourselves, how much does it cost you in financial terms as well to be a Christian? Whoa, what a great question. And above all, don't forget that God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> That's great commentary. I love it. Hey, I just want to bring the smartest guy into the room right now. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And this is interesting, folks. Fulton Sheen has somebody with him that I never even heard of. Have you heard of Blessed Ivan Mertz? Nope, look it up. It's in my book, uh, The Catholic Mass, from, Arch from Bishop Athanasius Snyder that I'm uh, reading. So here's what he has said. This particular Blessed Ivan Mertz. He was talking with Bishop Sheen on the train. Here it comes. He says, How dignified and solemn is the Holy Mass in a, in a Trappist monastery. How everything in it proceeds slowly so that the beating of eternity can be heard. Why hurry when one sings praise to God for whom one was created? Well said. This last line's a killer. Man has arrived at his goal. He only has to look. That's the thing that I grabbed me. Man has, to, has, has arrived at his goal, but man doesn't even know about his goal right now if he doesn't know the meaning and purpose of life. Uh, before we have Steve Ray come on, I wanted to share a couple stories. You probably know I do probably 20 to 30, sometimes 40 funerals at our chapel a month, sometimes more than one a day. And I love it because I get to evangelize people who are very vulnerable in the sense their loved one has died, and I try to bring them back to church. And I thought you guys might like this story. I told it to the crew here, and they said, oh, you got to tell that one. Anyhow, I ran into a nice young man. He was 62 years old, but I didn't know until I met him. And his brother had died, and he wanted to put on a nice service. And he was a fallen away Catholic. So I found that out when I got there, and we're talking before the service. And he's doing a lot of preparation work for his brother, pictures and putting up easels. And I had to put up like 12 ch ch tables and 60 chairs outside for the, the little get-together after the service. And so I'm in church, and I find out he's not a Catholic, or not practicing. And so I try to use a Don Bosco technique, and you're probably going to laugh, but when he told me that he had you know, not been practicing, his mother's 93 years old, but she practices, but he doesn't. So I challenged him, and I said, hey, dude, uh, he goes to me. He says, I'm, I, who do I need? I said, I'm, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, and I'm in great shape. So what do I need a religion for? I said, okay. <clears throat> so I said, okay, well, if you're in that good of shape, I'm 65. I get down on my knee, I get my uh, hands, and I said, I said, uh, well, before I said, I said to him, I said, if you're in such great shape, <clears throat> I'll tell you, I'll challenge you. 
you can do more push-ups than I can, then, uh, you know, good for you. If you can't, uh, then let's get you back into church. And so I went down and started pumping off some push-ups at age 65. Yeah, I'm a little guy. And he goes, well, wait a minute, time out. No, 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 I'm, I'm not going to, I can't do push-ups. I said, oh, okay, well, then yeah, you tra- yeah, I, you're going to be a wimp. I said, why don't you really be a man and come back home to your faith because life is short and eternity is forever. Oh, no, no, I'm not that ready. But the point of it is, is Don Bosco taught me this, that sometimes to bring somebody back, you have to challenge them in something that they have respect for. And so I tried to do that, and it didn't work. But when I left him that day, which was yesterday, I said, I hope to see you soon. And uh, he said, oh, no, I don't want to see you soon. That means somebody died. I've got to have another funeral here. I said, no, no. I asked him to Google my name right there, and he puts it in the computer, and he says, Terry Barber Catholic. What? And I said, yes, this is what my passion is, to introduce people to the person of Christ so that they can have that relationship and go to heaven for all eternity. That was my purpose with you. His mouth dropped. He couldn't believe it. Remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So reaching out to people, this is why I wrote that book, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone. I mean, that same day I took my grandson to the park. And again, this is what I do every day. I get into a conversation at the park with the families that have little children, and then I give them a card for Virgin Most Powerful. I said, would you like to have something more that would help you in living out your family life? Here's Virgin Most Powerful card. Try it. It works. So anyhow, those are the stories I have. Last thing I want to share with you is a good news story. Vietnamese Catholics drive out a communist official who interrupted the archbishop's mass. That's the kind of lay people we have to be. We have to defend our flock, defend our bishops. And what this story is from LifeSite News, you want to hear it. The men asked the, the, the um, communists to leave and covered the altar where they couldn't even get up. To, they told the archbishop to knock it off, stop the mass, and lay people stood up and said, not on my watch. I think those days are coming here in America where our religious freedom are going to have to be held up by us lay people to protect our clergy from the attacks of secular humanists. Just my thought. All right, folks, when we come back, Steve Ray, virtual tour of the Passion of Christ. This is the week that changed the world. Don't forget, we got the men's conference coming up. It's on our website with Jess Romero, myself, and uh, others that are going to be there. So uh, go ahead to vmpr.org. Take a look at events. We got the women's, we got the marriage conference coming up on the 7th of May. You can register for that. Uh, Dr. Uh, will be there, my wife and I. We're going to have a, a great conference there. Just check it out by vmpr.org. And when we come back, our good friend Steve White Ray will be with us to really give us a, a virtual tour of the passion. I can't think of a better person to have to come on our air to talk about this. This will help you make your meditation this week so powerful. And again, reading the gospel and meditating on the passion, there's value there that's out of this world. Stay with us, family. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. My good friend Steve Ray will be joining us. Steve, are you with us, brother? 
I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Steve, I, yeah. I mentioned to the folks that I can't think of a better knucklehead for the Lord, and that's what I call you, my knucklehead for the Lord, on when it comes to giving a tour of the passion of Christ, okay? And so I appreciate you. I know you're going to be on all the other radio stations doing this, and I thank you for your generosity to do this. So uh, I want to, but before I get into this, Brother, I love plugging your website. I love plugging your com- your conferences that you're doing. I love the events that you take people to in Europe. I want to get that set up first before we get into this. What, what's going on with Steve Ray? Well, we just got back from our Saints and Shrines of Italy tour for two weeks, all through uh, from Milan down through Florence mm-hmm. and Assisi and all the places down through four days in Rome. So we just got back from that. Good. Did a speaking tour through Iowa to support Iowa Catholic Radio. Awesome. Now we're leaving on Sunday, and we've got a sold-out trip to Israel, first time. And, Terry, I have to say I'm very pleased that they dropped all their vaccine requirements. Awesome. So people can go now to Israel with us without worrying about the vaccine. Awesome. We have to take tests, but I, we can live with that. Yeah. And um, so we got a, a full bus of 57 people going to the Holy Land. Got another one going in May. Five seats left on that trip. And once those five seats are gone, that's a sold out trip, too. And uh, then we got uh, <laughs> Oberammergau, Germany, Switzerland and northern Italy. We're doing that in June and August. St. <laughs> Paul Cruz through Turkey and Greece, all 10 biblical sites in October. Awesome. And again to the Holy Land in September and December for families especially. And in November, we have Jordan and Israel. That's a long two-week trip, but we're going to spend four days going through all the biblical sites of Jordan, cross into Israel, and then spend eight days in Israel. Wow. So we're getting busy again, Terry, plus over 20 speaking engagements around the country. Awesome, Steve. CatholicConvert.com, or what's another website they can go to? That's the one, CatholicConvert.com. There's a big pilgrimage banner on the top go to that and it'll take you to footprints of god which is my pilgrimage site great steve i call this the week that changed the world okay why would you call it that terry my goodness (laughs) because it did it changed everything and i want to i want to talk because the easter tritium's coming up and this is what i want i mean what i want to do and i think our listeners would want to do is meditate on what's taking place this Holy Week, especially on Holy Thursday, and paint the picture. But maybe even some of the scripture might even not have. You, I mean, I think we need some commentary on what's happening. So, can we talk about the upper room and go through like the institution of the priesthood and the Eucharist and just what's going on on that Holy Thursday night? Okay, my understanding is I'm going to come back on again tomorrow That's to do the correct. second half. Correct. Okay, yes. So we're. I'm going to try. Let's today try to cover Thursday okay. and uh, into Friday All right? and the events. And then tomorrow we can cover um, the fin- wherever we end up on Friday, Saturday, and the resurrection. So Amen. I want to start with the upper room mm-hmm. because that's really where Holy Thursday starts. Um, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Yep. And John chapter 11 just does a marvelous job of explaining that. And mm-hmm. then John chapter 12. We have the whole passage. It's about the kingship of Christ, even riding a donkey into Jerusalem like Solomon rode a donkey and a mule. Uh, so this is all setting it up. But now Jesus is preparing for the upper room. And he said he's longed for this night. He longed for this meal. Mm-hmm. And the reason, of course, is that he said, this is my body. And he's giving his body to the disciples, which are 
a picture. The church is a picture of the bride of Christ. Amen. And when he says, this is my body, I think there's two big reasons he says that is one, he is giving his body to the bride and the bride is going to take him into her body. The, the, the bread becomes the body and blood of Christ. It's like a marital, like a nuptial yep. feast. That's right. And so there's this, he said he's longed for this night and he's now going to give himself in his body there to the disciples who represent the bride of Christ. And they're going to receive him into their body and then they're going to bear fruit and the church is going to begin. And that's the beauty of this nuptial meal. It's also, when you go up to the upper room, there's something that you, it seems like is missing. Actually, there's no mention of a priest and there's no mention of a lamb. At the Passover meal, you the, there's a priest has to be involved for the slaughter of the lamb and the preparation of the meal, and there's a you have to have a lamb. It's the whole point of the Passover lamb meal is to have a Passover lamb, but you don't. None of the Gospels do you hear anything about that. But oh my goodness, Terry, there is a priest, isn't there? Yeah. Who's the priest? It's the Lord Jesus. Amen. And there's a lamb. Exactly. There's a lamb. The lamb is also the Lord. He's both the priest and the victim. And interestingly, it's a Passover meal, which means that this is back goes back to the book of Exodus when they're leaving the land of Egypt and the angel of death would pass over the people. That's how it got called the Passover, because the angel of death would pass over when he saw the blood on the vertical and horizontal beams of the wood on the door. Well, where else do we see the blood of the Passover lamb on vertical and horizontal beams of wood? I think there's one right over my shoulder. You got it. And so here we have another Passover lamb with blood on vertical and horizontal beams of wood. And so Jesus, when he says, when he said, this is my body, he is representing the lamb, right? And they have to eat the meat of the lamb on the Passover meal before they can get up and go. They can leave. In fact, in John chapter 14, the chapter ends by Jesus saying, let us get up and go from this place. Almost the exact words of Moses after they ate the Passover meal. He said, let us get up and go. And they went through the Red Sea and out into freedom. So Jesus is saying, this is my body. Why? Because he's the lamb. And you have to eat his body before you can get up and leave the Passover meal and go out. So there's so much going on there in that passage. Now, I can um, imagine myself, Terry, saying to Jesus, um, oh, excuse me, Lord, you, did I just hear you correctly? You said this is my body. But uh, Thomas and Judah, all of us, we, we're sure, Lord, that that's just a piece of bread. It, it looks like bread, tastes like bread, smells like bread. Are you sure you said that right, <laughs> that this is my body? Uh, I think, and this is me, Steve Ray the Baptist, Yes, back Laying, uh, reclining at table saying, Jesus, I really think you ought to change what you just said. You ought to make sure that the world knows that you're just speaking symbolically. And you should say this represents my body because there's going to be a billion Catholics someday that think you really meant what you just said, that it's your body. <laughs> and we can see it's all bread, Lord. And Steve Ray the Baptist would have said that to Jesus. But Jesus knew exactly what he was saying, and he knew why he was saying it, and he didn't mean it to be representing his body. He said exactly what he meant. This is my body in the upper room. He had said something similar to that in John chapter 6, and I'm going to be there in five days with our group, and we're going to be celebrating Mass at Capernaum where Jesus said, eat my flesh. The, the phrase, this is my body, take and eat, is very similar to unless you eat my flesh, there'll be no life in you. 
He's referring to his body given in a sacramental form. He knew exactly what he's saying, and he meant exactly what he said. So here in the upper room, and when we're in the upper room, Terry, I'll be there with our group in about a week and a half. We And I know you've been there with me, so you know exactly what that room looks like. You came with me, you and your wife, and that room, in that room, both the institution of the priesthood and the Eucharist was instituted that night in the upper room. Both when he said, do this in memory of me, he, he started the priesthood because those are sacrificial terms and he's commissioning them to repeat that same sacrifice all through history. And so we have the priesthood and the Eucharist both uh, established that night and his body uh, that we have to eat his flesh and his body. So that, that's a little bit of what's going on in that room, though. We could talk about it for an hour. If and you Steve, want. if I can jump in, this is an appropriate time for all of us to be praying for our clergy every Thursday night here at our chapel. This is why we do it, because of Holy Thursday. We spend two hours before the Blessed Sacrament praying for priests, bishops, and the Pope. Why? Because that's when the institution of the priesthood took place on Holy Thursday. So year-round, I'm going to encourage somebody right now to send a thank-you note to their local parish priest during yes. Easter, have a mass offered, even if it's just an Easter cross. Say, Father, thank you for saying yes to your priesthood. They need to hear that more and more because they're under attack. Let's just be honest. Yeah, they are, of course. So, and and uh, when we're up there in the upper room, sure. we always, I always take the microphone and yeah. I say, <clears throat> all through this pilgrimage, our priests have been praying for us, celebrating mass yeah. for us, hearing our confessions. But today we're going to turn the tables on. <laughs> I said, everybody come and stand around the priest. I want you, those who are close enough to lay your hands on him, and those who aren't, just raise your hand, and we're going to pray for this man. And I always pray that God would bless him, help him to love the bride of Christ, even when she's unlovely, Yep, <laughs> like we often are. Yep. And uh, that he, we should pray that the Lord would help him to be a holy man in the midst of an unholy world, to be an example, and to to celebrate the mysteries with great joy. And the priests always get very emotional when we do that because this is everything. Look at three things about them. That's where their priesthood was instituted. That's where the Eucharist was instituted. That was where confession was instituted. Exactly. Three more things that a priest do more than that. (laughs) And it all comes from that one little room in Jerusalem on Thursday night. Wow. When we come back, I want to talk to Steve about walking through Jerusalem to Gethsemane. And talk about where is Judas? All these questions that come up in that situation. I want to also recommend, folks, that Jess Romero and myself, we're having a men's conference in June. Go to vmpr.org to sign up, whether you want to be there in person or you're halfway around the world, you'll be able to watch it. Also, we have a seminar on marriage, and I want to really promote this because Cardinal Seurat wrote a book called Couples Awaken Your Love from Ignatius Press. That's what I'm going to be giving a talk on, and he ties in how married couples need to pray together using scripture. What a novel idea. But anyhow, we're going to cover Bishop Sheen's Three to Get Married book. We're going to cover the catechism and what that teaches. My wife will be there. Dr. Sandoval will be speaking uh, on that also using the Bible. So this is going to be a great conference on marriage. A couple's awaken your love by going to vmpr.org or calling 877-526-2151. And that story that I just mentioned about the Vietnamese Catholics driving out communist officials who interrupted the Archbishop's Mass last week. I want to be, you to be inspired. Read the whole article. I just gave you a summary of it. 
But this inspired me as a layman that someday we might have to defend our clergy also from secular humanists. I see it coming, Steve. That's my take on that. So go to LifeSite News, read the article, be inspired, because I want, this is what we are here for at Virgin Most Powerful, to inspire you to fall deep in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, because we want you to get to heaven because life is short and eternity is forever. My good friend Steve Ray, who's been helping people fall in love for Jesus for for decades now, he's here explaining what we call a virtual tour of the passion of Christ. He just gave a magnificent chat about the upper room. Steve, can people pick up some recordings of yours on your website also? We have 30 seconds for that response. Oh, I got all kinds of it. I got hundreds of YouTube videos too that everywhere I go, people said, hey, Steve, I became Catholic after watching YouTube videos. So. I got those. They're all on my homepage. If you go there, you'll see a link to my yep, YouTube good. channel. I've got all kinds of hundreds and hundreds of articles people can download, awesome. print, give to friends, all free stuff. CatholicConvert.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about walking through Jerusalem to Gethsemane. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 526 2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. Jesse will be back on Wednesday. Uh, we're talking to CatholicConvert.com website. Yeah, I like to promote him. Can you tell? It's Steve Ray, my good friend. I think the world of this man because the good work that he's doing and in introducing people to the person of Christ. Steve, let's go through walking through Jerusalem to Gethsemane. What's up on there? Okay, so they're up in the upper room, and the Passover meal is ended. Judas has left. Mm -hmm. He got up and walked out. Bad, bad thing to do. Bad, bad man. Mm -hmm. And the way I say it to the grandkids, bad, bad man. (laughs) Doing, going out to betray the Lord um, after having been with him for three years and seeing all the miracles and so on, it's an astounding thing he did. Um, But he, he leaves and goes out. Um, I find interesting people don't pay attention to this and not quite sure people aren't sure what to think about this. But right before Jesus, after he finishes the Passover meal, right before he leaves, he said, how many swords do we have? And they said, we have two. He said, that should be enough. <laughs> if you don't have a sword, then sell your cloak and go buy one. And so, I mean, that's very interesting. Oh, yeah, it is. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to erase that out of the out of the Gospels. But anyway, that's the last thing that they say before he says, let us go from this place. And now they're going to walk. One of the nice things about being in Jerusalem a lot is you get the proximity and, and the location of places. He's up in the on the top of Mount Zion, which is inside the walls of Jerusalem. And he's going to now walk through Jerusalem, go down past the temple into the Kidron Valley, outside the gates now, through the Kidron Valley, and then up into the Mount of Olives where Gethsemane is. And there's a lot you can learn about reading, for example, the Gospel of John as you follow him as he leaves. He's talking to them, and he starts to talk in verse 15, uh, chapter 15 about the vine and the branches. Unless you abide in me and I in you, you'll not you'll bear much fruit. Interesting enough that He's right at that point passing the temple. And we read in Josephus that on the front of the temple was a facade that had huge golden clusters of grapes the size of a man. Mm. These huge clusters of grapes were showing that if you abide in the Mm -hmm. temple and with the presence of God in the temple, you will bear much fruit. 
and this golden clusters of grape. Now, Jesus is telling us that he's going to become the new temple and that if we abide in him, we're going to bear much fruit. And this is while he's passing these huge clusters of grapes on the front of the temple. And then he starts to pray the high priestly prayer in John 17. He prays for the consecration of himself coming up for the sacrifice. He prays for the 12 priests that are with him. And then he prays for a third category of people, those who will believe through your word. Who's that? That's us. We who believe through his word. So people don't realize where that took place. Jesus is walking past the temple. Where does a high priest pray the high priestly prayer? At the temple. He's there at the temple praying. And one of the interesting things is that he prays for all of those who will believe through your word. He has every single one of us in mind because he's God. He prayed for you, no matter who you are listening. If you're one who has believed through the message of the apostles, he prayed for you by name that day because he already knew you in his divinity. He knew you. So he's going past Mm -hmm. the temple praying. And he goes down through the Kidron Valley and into a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's very interesting that he steps into a garden because the sins of the world are going to fall on him Mm -hmm. in that garden. Whenever the Bible refers to garden, it's always trying to trigger your memory. What other garden might be the prototype for this one? What other garden might be the foundation that you're supposed to think about? And it's always the Garden of Eden. Of course. So here you have Adam, the first Adam, who in a garden at the tree of life brings about death. Now we've got a new Adam in a new garden, and he's now going to receive all of the sins of the world that the first Adam released. And he's now going to take that into his body. And in in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't become a sinner. He became a sin bearer. Like like there was a goat called the scapegoat. And on the Day of Atonement, the priests of Israel would pray over that goat, put their hands on his head, and all the sins of Israel would be placed on that goat, and they'd send the goat out to die. Jesus is that scapegoat. All of the sins of the world are being placed on him, and then he goes out to die outside the city walls, which is to Calvary. So I think that, Terry, the Garden of Gethsemane Mm -hmm. was the real pain of the crucifixion, of the passion. I think that in Garden of Gethsemane, it was far more painful than the cross. Mm -hmm. People say, are you kidding? I saw Mel Gibson's movie. I saw how painful that was. What do you mean There there was no whipping or beating in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yes, but imagine, think about who he is. He is the holy, holy, holy one of God. He is never, God is never called righteous, 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 or love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. But he is called holy, 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 which means separate from sin. Imagine the second person of the Trinity, holy, 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 taking on all the sins of the world into his body what kind of psychological, emotional, spiritual pain that caused him. I think more pain for that than it was to have the physical pain of Calvary. And he says, the only time he ever prays for himself, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Take this cup away from me. Please take this cup away from me. But takes a deep breath and says, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah, it's what we should pray too. Lord, take this away from me. Help me. But not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to put myself into your hands. Now, why, interestingly enough, 
in John chapter 3.14, right before we read my favorite Bible verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish, have everlasting life, John 3.16. Two verses before that, John 3.14, John says, as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, yes. so will the son of God be raised. And whoever looks at the serpent was saved. What is that about? Why is the serpent in the wilderness being used as an image of Christ? Because I think in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he took on all the sins of the world, he became, in a sense, the serpent. He took the sting of the serpent, all the sin and death that the serpent had brought into this other garden. The serpent now brings into this garden, but Jesus faces him head on. He actually incorporates all that sin into his being. It says at the cross, he destroyed the works of the devil. He took all of our sins, all of our egregious sins, the things we confess, the things we've done in our life, all of the sins of the world, all of the rapes and the abortions, all of the evil of the world and the very evil of Satan himself. And he took the sting of all that into his body. Only God could have endured that. No, not, none of us could have done that. And he was infinite. So he could take an infinite amount of sins into himself. And he became, in a sense, the serpent. He took it all to the cross and he killed it at the cross. That's why we have the snake yep. as an image of Christ on the cross. Yep. And that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane where all that sin, he became sin for us. Awesome. What about when Jesus was arrested and he's taken up to the Holy Steps to the Caiaphas' house for the trial? Let's get into that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, and the, the three disciples. There's three locations there. One is there's a cave called the Grotto of the Arrest. That's where the all of them went to sleep that night. But Jesus then took the three of those, his special three, and he took them up to the garden, and he said, "Stay here while I go pray." Mm -hmm. And then he went a little bit beyond that, and there's a rock, and at the place where he went, there's a church built over it called the Church of the Agony of Christ, where we're going to have mass in a few days. And you've had mass with us there in front of that rock. You can touch the rock where Jesus wept. When he goes back from there to where the disciples are, they're sleeping. Three times he does that. He goes back and he says, and he comes back and he prays again. Now, you know, a lot of times we're accused of vain repetition of prayer. We, you, you Catholics, you pray the same thing over and over. You should never do that. Yeah. And yet it's a Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup away from me. Father, take this cup away from me. Father, take this cup away from me. God says, Jesus, stop repeating <laughs> prayers. <laughs> no, Jesus repeated the prayers and he is in agony. And they fall asleep. And he said, the hour has come. And Judas comes out of the darkness with a cohort. A cohort is 600 men. Wow. Now, I doubt that all of them were there that night, but it just shows you this was a big operation. The cohort came with Judas to arrest Jesus, and they did it at night because they knew that he was popular. People loved him. And if they came and got him during the daytime, it would have called a, re a revolt. So they came at night to get Jesus. Judas kissed him. What an act of betrayal. Judas kissed him, and then they arrest Jesus. But I think it's interesting at that point, he uses the divine name, the Tetragotten. Uh, tetra I have slipped my mind right now. But he, the divine name, and he, he said, they said, who are, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. That's the name of God. Remember in Exodus, am, God says, my name is I am. That's my name forever. So Jesus uses that name. He said, I am. And they all fell down backwards. Yeah. Now, I think at that point, I would have said, hey, guys, we're making a big mistake. <laughs> Let's think? get the heck out of here. <laughs> I'm but with they, 
they arrest Jesus yeah. and they take him now in chains back where he had just come from in the upper room earlier that day. They take him right back there because that's where Caiaphas's house is, the, the high priest. So they take him back through the Kidron Valley, up through the city of Jerusalem, past the temple again, up the Mount Zion. And there's Caiaphas's house. And there they punch him and they beat him and they bear false witness against him. And they punch him and they, I think there they spit in his face. And, and it's, a, it's a very terrible, terrible thing. And his friends that abandon him. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him, and the other 10, they scatter like scared chickens. John stayed pretty close by. Peter now is in the courtyard, and it says that they're trying Jesus, and Peter is cold. It's, it says it's night, and it's cold. Why does John say it like that? You have to read John's gospel looking for clues. It's cold, and it's dark because Jesus is gone now. Exactly. And he's lonely and he's cold and he's dark without the presence of Jesus. So he goes to a fire of the enemy to get himself warm. And three times in front of that fire, he denies the Lord. The little girl, you're with him. I am not. <laughs> I don't know the man. I don't even know him. What is insult to say to your friend? I don't even know the man. Peter has sworn a day or two earlier, I'll die for you. Nobody's going to touch you, Lord. I'll die for you. And now two servant girls they come in and he says i don't even know the man and then he says damn it i don't know him he says he cursed him and wow then it says in luke that the lord looked at peter hang on hang he, on this is a teaser part we're gonna right. come right back terry and jesse show steve ray what a great meditation for holy week easter tritium listen and repeat this we'll be right back with more on the terry and jesse show stay with us family Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. Steve Ray filling in for Jess right now. We're talking about the Easter Tritium. I want you to listen to this over and over again during Holy Week because this is a great meditation for you to really see what actually takes place in these three days. Steve, we're on the edge of our chair. I had to, I had to stop you because of the commercial break, but you were, can you continue what you where you were when we ended? Yes. Please. By the way, back when I had a brain freeze about Jesus saying, I am the, the, the technical term is tetragrammaton, ah. or he uses his name as I am. Okay. So now he, Peter denies Jesus three times mm-hmm. and then in the Gospel of Lucas says, and then Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that look? Unbelievable. Can you imagine how you would feel? Oh, you think after he... you've sworn you'll never deny him, you'll always oh. you'll die for him. And and then you he said to the rooster, or, after you deny me three times, and then Jesus turns and he looks at Peter. Can oh, I just crawl that, in a that, hole? Oh, yeah, you want to dig a hole and bury yourself. Yeah. Well, he that the Sadducees had to get Jesus because he was threatening their whole existence. The Romans had a deal with the Jews that as long as they did certain things, they could keep their temple and they could keep their Jewish identity and they could do what they do in Jerusalem. But if they ever would break out of that, then they would destroy the temple, which they eventually did. And the, and the, the Jews said to the leader said to themselves, we can't let this guy go on because if he does, the Romans are going to come in and take our place away from us. Mm. 
So we and it was a political thing. The crucifixion of Jesus was totally political in order for them to keep their privileges with Rome. In other words, they were making Rome their their king instead of Jesus their king. And so they were compromising that way. Can I just interrupt you, Steve? Yeah. I see a connection today in our church. I hate to say that. We have to, who's influencing who, the world or the church? And I really believe that, yep. I'm calling it my own self out, but I think sometimes in our church, we, we shouldn't be making these connections with whether it's the church in China or the government. We need to stand on Jesus Christ and not make compromises. Continue, Steve. Right, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be dancing with the no. government and doing everything politically. And that's what the Jews, Jewish mm-hmm. leadership was doing. That's right. So uh, the trial by the high priest, after they beaten them and everything. It's late at night. Now, you know, it's probably what, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with Jesus? You can't take him to Pilate until the morning. Yeah. So what are you going to do with him overnight on Thursday? They didn't put him up in the Hilton Hotel. That's certainly you not think? what they did. They, they're in, in um, Caiaphas's house. There's a cistern. In those days, you didn't have running water and it didn't rain for the whole nine months out of the year it only rains in the winter in israel any substantial amount so they dug ditches and trenches when it rained the water would go through those trenches and ditches and they dig a hole with a circle about this big and then it would go they dig a dig pit big a dig a big pit under the ground yeah so the water then in the rainy season would fill that underground pit with water and then they had water for the dry season well that also made a wonderful prison because when you lowered someone down through that hole and drop them in. There's no way to get back out of there. This is how that Joseph, when they sold him to the land of Egypt, his brothers sold him to Egypt. They put him in a cistern. Jeremiah was put in a cistern overnight as a prisoner. And he said he sunk in up to the, into the mud. Jesus was put into that cistern. And if you want to know what it was like, read Psalm 88 on Holy Thursday night. Come home from the Holy Thursday and read Psalm 88 and imagine them lowering Jesus into that pit. And it says that I I am now in a pit. All my friends have betrayed and abandoned me. My only friend is darkness. Mm. It's a it's a I read that whenever I take our groups there. I go down. I read that psalm to them down inside that pit. And and, and think he was either dangling from a rope hanging down, or they dropped him into the mud, and he was there all night, never got any sleep. And they pull him out first thing in the morning to take him to Pilate. Because they do everything early in the morning there because it can get really hot during the day. So they take him over to Pilate early in the morning. One of the things I think about is that when he was in that cistern mm-hmm. over Holy Thursday night, mm-hmm. the Gospels tell us that he could have called 12 legions of angels. Yep, That's 72,000 angels if you want to know what a legion is. And they could have delivered him. They could have vaporized the Roman army. But they, he didn't call on them. He could have said, I want out of this. Mm-hmm. This is going to be way too painful. These people don't even love me. My own people here are going to crucify me. This is horrible. This is not, I, you know, I, I think I'm changing my mind about this whole loving these people thing. I'm going to get out of here and call the angels. He could have been delivered, but he didn't do it because he loved us, even though he knew what was going to come Friday morning because it had all been prophesied in Zechariah and in the Psalms and in the book of Isaiah. 52 and 53, he knew what he was going to go through. He knew what he was going to suffer, and yet he did it for us anyway because he loved us. So on Holy Thursday night, read Psalm 88. Think that Jesus could have released himself easy enough, but he didn't because he loved us. Wow. Let's keep moving on. we got about seven or eight more minutes. Okay. 
Well, he goes before Pilate. Yep. We'll never get uh, through Friday. We'll just do a couple things in preparation for tomorrow. Yes. Because uh, Friday is the big day because now he's going to be killed. That's right. And the uh, Antonia Fortress, we, we talk about doing this uh, Via Della Rosa, the Stations of the Cross. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly where they are because the land, the streets in Israel today, which I've walked the Stations of the Cross 80 more times with groups, you know, in the morning. We know where the Antonia Fortress was and we know where Calvary is, but he had to get from here to here. We don't know the exact because the streets are different now than they used to be at the time. And it's nine feet above the level of the street Jesus was walking at. So when we're walking through Jerusalem or nine feet above the level where he would have been walking. So we are estimating this the way of the cross, but we have to get from A to B. And so we know roughly how it went. And so you imagine him now going uh, before Pilate and being prepared to go on that road. Interestingly enough, at the same time that the Jewish priests are certifying that the lambs are blameless and without blemish and are acceptable for the Passover meal, they had to be perfect. You know, wouldn't it be nice if you could bring the lamb that had the mange and get rid of him, get rid of the mange one or the one that had his leg built bit off by the wolf yeah just and in malachi god was very angry he says you keep bringing me all of your inferior lambs all the diseased and the maimed lambs he says why because the picture of the lamb it has to be a picture of jesus christ who is sinless he's without blemish so the people are bringing these lambs right now to the temple to the priests to certify them as being perfect enough for the sacrifice and then the priest is going to kill them there and then they take them back to their homes to cook them and eat the meat of the lamb the interesting thing is at the very time that they are on Friday getting ready these lambs and and saying that the lambs are perfect and there's no blame, a stone's throw away, Pilate looks at the real lamb of God and he says, I find no fault with him. He's blameless. He's spotless. He's ready for the sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? That is. But the, but the people then are chanting, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And there's two Barabbases there. They're having they're making a choice between two Barabbases and they pick the one wrong. What does Barabbas mean? Abba is father. Bar means son of. So Barabbas means son of the father. Who is the true son of the father? Jesus is. Who's the false one? Barabbas, the wicked thief. So they have a choice of two Barabbases, two sons of the father, and they choose the wrong one. Mm. And they bring a criminal and let him go free. Well, they take the innocent and spotless lamb of God, which Pilate just says, he's an innocent man. There's no capital crime here. I find no fault in him. I'm going to let him go. And they said, no, no, crucify him, crucify him. And, you know, when we do that at, at mass, Terry, when, when we as the crowd, have, yes. when we read the gospel, I really don't like saying that. Yeah, of course. When, it, when the crowd has to, we at the in the yeah. mass, where the people and we say, "Crucify him, crucify." I don't like saying that, but I think they'd have us do that for a purpose to let us. It was our sins; yeah. we were involved. It's our sins that put him on the cross. In a way, we said, "Crucify him, crucify him," because of our actions. And so, anyway, they before Pilate, his wife then comes out and says, "Don't, don't kill this man. I had a dream; he's innocent." But Pilate, because of the political pressure. Mm-hmm. They said, we are, we have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine the Jews saying, we have no king but Caesar? Wow. And if they say to, to Pilate, if you let him go, you are no friend of Caesar's. That was a political statement. He had to let Jesus be crucified 
out of politics, out of political pressure. And um, so then he sends him off to be crucified. But first he scourges him. He says, I'm going to scourge him and whip him and then I'll let him go, hoping that they would feel sorry for him being beaten so badly. We saw in Mel Gibson's movie, I think that's one of the reasons they let the Roman soldiers beat him so badly is that the Jewish leadership would feel sorry for him and maybe just let him go. But they did. They wanted him dead. And so he ended up then putting, getting him ready for death. Now, the, the uh, mocking and the crown of thorns and the purple rope, they didn't do that for everybody. He was, they said, so you're the king of the Jews. They loved it, these soldiers, because most of the soldiers were not Roman soldiers. They were conscripts that wow. were conscripted in from, from Syria and Egypt, which are the perennial enemies of Israel, right? When now you look through the Old Testament, they're always fighting against the Syrians in the north and the Egyptians, and the, this is their enemies all around them. So now the army is made up of all of these conscripts. Hmm. And so th they said, oh, we have the king of the Jews in our hands. Oh, we're going to treat him royally. So that's, they really went after him. They put the purple crown on him and they put the crown of thorns on his head. And um, guys like us with no hair, uh, we know which guys that have a head of hair don't realize that when you bump your head, it oh, really yeah. hurts because those, the nerves in your head and when it gets cut, the capillaries break. It's hard to get the bleeding to stop. And they put that on his head. And, and it wasn't a, you know, like a, a band that went around the head. It was more like a cap, a whole bush, a bush of thorns that they just crow, crammed onto his head. And then it says they beat it down with a stick with a reed, but a reed is a, like a stick. And they beat that thing down onto his head. So that those needles, those thorns would go right into his scalp. It had to be the most painful thing. And remember that when Abraham took his son, Isaac up to the cross, uh, up Mount Sinai, same place actually where Jesus is. And he finds the ram with his head stuck in a thicket in the thorn bush. That was a replacement for his son, Isaac. When Jesus goes, he also has his head stuck in a thorn bush. He's a lamb with his head stuck in a thorn bush with the crown of thorns. So then they, they crown him with the thorns and they start on the way of the Via Della Rosa and the stations of the cross. Sounds like we're out of time. Well, we'll Steve, yeah, we're going to pick it up tomorrow. But I want to also just say that without, without having a good grasp of the Old Testament, you miss so much of the New oh. Testament. And your point is well made uh, there. And I want to encourage people to come back tomorrow for part two. And tell your friends to join us because this is really important for us. This is the week that changed the world, the Easter Tritium. And tomorrow, Steve is generously coming back again to join us for part two on this. You're going to learn a lot about what took place in those three days here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Also, I want to give another plug. Go to CatholicConvert.com. Why do I do that? Because Steve has resources that will help you fall deep in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Steve, thanks again for joining us. If you were, you know the question, what state should we be living in? The state of grace, right, brother? Amen, brother. You got it. We'll come back again tomorrow, same time, same station. May God richly bless you and your family. Thanks, family. <laughs>